It's Tuesday, December 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hanton and Nate Weiser. Thanks for being here, gents. Yo, glad to be here. Um, you said that now, but... <laughs> We you got see. tough questions today. Um, I don't know that they're tough. They're questions. usually softballs. Do, do I ask? I don't think I ask softballs. I, I, you know, I medium like, balls. I like to mix them up. I like to mix them up. Um, but we're going to be talking about basically stuff that is happening outside the United States. And let's start with Russia because last week Russia's central bank raised its key interest rate to ten and a half percent, and apparently that wasn't enough because on Tuesday they raised it to seventeen percent. And the ruble is now falling to an all-time low against the dollar. Do they think it's an auction? <laughs> what? Did you know that the Russian central bank leader's name is Elvira? Wow. Yeah. You know what? Anything we say for the rest of this podcast, <laughs> that's what listeners are going to take away. That's, there you go. Elvira they, is in charge. Of the Elvira is bank. in charge of the Russian central bank. What? I mean, first of all, Nate, what is going on? And secondly... Are things every bit as bad as they look? Because as someone who does not watch Russia's economy all that closely, <laughs> to my untrained eyes, they look pretty damn bad. Uh, it's 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 not great. The ruble, uh, to take your phrase earlier, is falling through the floor. Uh, I think it's down. Uh, f- I think it's halved against the dollar in the past year. True fact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> True I think fact. in the past six months, uh, it is going a bit parabolic, but. Uh, it's it's painful. Um, combine that with the fact that oil prices are falling through the floor, and Russia's economy is mainly based on exporting oil, gas, and other natural resources. This is just not the best time of year for them, I don't think. Um, we plus the sanctions. The sanctions. The sanctions. I think it's arguable whether or not that is really taking an impact yet. It's not uh, helping. No, it's it's hel- it's hurting. Consensus. It's either neutral or negative. Right? It's, it's hurting consensus, <laughs> and which I think is what we're seeing happen with the ruble right now. But mm-hmm. if you if you look on the ground in Russia, uh, everyday Russians are not exactly crying out for mercy at this point. So I think there's a lot of negative sentiment around Russia and the ruble and all that. But uh, I think I think on the ground we're not the impacts aren't as strong as the headlines might have you think. Yeah, there was a Stratford article that uh, our, our team was circling around that made the point that um, wealth in Russia is actually, that's actually the weird scenario. Like they're used to economic hardship. Go back 100, 200 years and they can they can handle economic pressure. Uh, so this isn't necessarily something something new for them, but certainly the world opinion on the Russia stock market has plummeted and that has caused the currency to weaken, stocks to fall, and you know, and it's a pretty ugly situation for anybody who has had any money invested in Russia uh, or Russian companies recently. Is there anything that you see? And I apologize for having mentioned Sparebank in this forum <laughs> a week or two ago. <laughs> well, I was just going to say. I mean, we've talked before about companies in Russia and there being sort of slim pickings. Is there? Is there anything that you look at as an investor and think, well, that's a quality business that is is getting swept up in the tide and it's now trading much lower than it was two weeks ago, but the underpinnings of the business are still fine? Or is it a scenario where you say, economically, this country is kind of on fire right now and I don't want anything to do with it? Uh, I think you kind of split the difference between the two. I think both both are true. Um, certainly, some sell-off is warranted. 
uh, the, as Nate pointed out, the, the conditions are deteriorating, and that's going to make things harder for, for any business in Russia, whether it's a bank looking to extend credit, a retailer looking to import and then sell you know, product, um, you know, an energy company, obviously not helped by, by following oil prices. But you know, the, the question then becomes, I think, one of, of time horizon, which is if you look through the current uh, volatility, that's a kind, probably a kind word for to describe what's happening. If you look through the current volatility and look through to three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, you know we saw this with our own financial crisis in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right? Lehman Brothers goes down, uh, Wachovia, uh, Washington Mutual. These are these were troubled institutions that that went down, and and on the other side, banks like Wells Fargo come out stronger with more market share and in a better position. And Wells Fargo certainly declined precipitously in the 08, 09 period. Um, so now take that, take that example and apply it onto Russia. And, you know, certainly some Russian banks are, are probably, so, I mean, there've already been bank bailouts in Russia prior to this week. And so there are certainly uh, a number of Russian companies that are going to probably go under and uh, go to zero. And so the question is what happens to something like Sparebank, which is in its peer group, best of class. Um, you know, looking through to a couple years from now, they, they maybe come out stronger on the other side with more market share. And so as an investor, you know, and this is always the tricky thing. It's, it's a matter of, um, it's a matter of taking that long-term horizon and managing your temperament. And uh, it's times like this that, that test one's ability to manage temperament. I can't imagine there was anyone who watches Russia's economy closely Last week, seeing the central bank raise the interest rate to 10.5%, I don't think anyone who's an expert in this legitimately thought to themselves, well, you know, next week, they could really bump this up to 17. Like, the leap was so enormous, so quickly, on the heels of the most recent rate. Does that mean that pretty much any option is open, that, that as investors, granted, from this distance, but as investors, should we be unsurprised by any move they make from here on out, or any move that Putin makes? Uh, well, I think those are two different questions. I, I think take them in any order you want. The, the central bank, I think, um, they're floundering in an effort to stop the collapse of the ruble. And in in all reality, this is a sentiment thing. And so, I don't know that there are any lengths that they can go to that will really stop what's happening until people say, "Okay, I think this is now cheap enough." Um, so we, they they could do some really fun stuff, but I I, I don't know what that would be. Um, as far as Putin goes, I think that's a completely different story because he is completely unconcerned about the economony. His in, popularity remains yeah high, which is incredible to think about. He yeah, and he, the as as Tim was saying, the Russian people are pretty much they're they're no strangers to economic hardship. They've gone Yeltsin the Yeltsin period was terrible for. The, everyone on the street. Um, so this isn't a new world for them. Um, and when things start to go bad for Russia, they tend to become more nationalistic and see it as a, and especially in this situation, it's a us against them thing. And so that Putin has definite support amongst his people. And so uh, I really don't think you can judge what Putin was going to do based on economic concerns. I think globally, it's an interesting dislocation that's happening because you know the, the Russian bank. Nate said to me this morning, you know, how they decide on seventeen? Right. I mean, they're just plucking numbers out of thin air. Um, you know, and, and and you look globally, and it seems like a lot of actors are plucking numbers out. You know, what is oil going to be? Bah, I don't know. 70, 60, 50, 40? Could we get to forty? You know, forty three. 
And, and when whenever people lose control, and not that anybody ever has control, but when you really lose that illusion of control, that's when the when markets, which are you know, as Ben Graham famously said, voting machines, voting machines in the short term or the near term, that's when they really start overshooting. And I think, generally speaking, on energy, on emerging markets, I believe that the voting machine is is overshooting. That doesn't mean it will correct itself anytime soon. But I think it, 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 as I said earlier, I think it does create interesting times for people who can control their temperament. You guys uh, each recently... And we're also in tax law selling season, which doesn't help. That, <laughs> that also does not help. Uh, you both recently uh, did some research trips. I want to uh, get a couple of headlines. And Nate, I'll start with you. You and uh, Tony Arsta were in South Korea meeting with just a ton of, of companies. Uh, one of the things you had written about, which I, which, uh, I just found myself nodding as I was, I was reading it, was South Korea, South Korea as an economy kind of gets lost, I think, for the average investor. It's easy to think big picture about China. It's easy to think big picture about Japan. South Korea kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. How is the economy there? And from an investing standpoint, what's the most uh, interesting opportunity right now? Um, I think the economy's not doing great. We we had a couple of we had translators taking us around, and um, we had three different over over the course of the week. We had three different translators, and they were all relatively young people, and none of them expressed a whole lot of optimism about jobs. They were happy to have the job that they had, but they didn't love the job. But they, there was no way they were leaving. Um, so, the South Korean government reports a relatively flat unemployment rate that would make the U.S. jealous right now. But uh, f- talking to everyone, it doesn't really seem like a realistic number. So, South Korea does it seem like a fabricated number? Uh, well, I guess that depends on. <laughs> uh, it's probably not fabricated, but uh, they. You can twist the numbers any way you Take want. Take it with a grain of salt. Liberally estimated. Yes, exactly. This is this Fair is, enough. This is an economy that's... Haven't got, we all liberally estimated at one time? <laughs> this is an economy that's got a heavy hand of the government on it, so I, I, I take all those numbers relatively uh, skeptically. But the, the economy is also going through a transition. A lot of people uh, focus on China's economic transition, but... Um, South Korea is going through a very similar transition. They built their economy on exports. Um, shipbuilding was an enormous industry for them. Um, that's drying up because China has taken a lot of that. Uh, and the government's now tra- trying to push tourism, uh, which ironically is going to attract Chinese tourists. Um, so South Korea is in a bit of a pivot. It's not a I wouldn't call it a booming economy. There aren't a whole lot of screaming opportunities to me, but er- the area of interest is the tourist industry. They've got a couple of uh, listed casino companies that look interesting. Um, the hotel industry is is, is up for debate, uh, but also uh, various um, uh, tour package uh, tour package companies that are aiming at the Chinese uh, tourists. So. There, there are some areas that have some interest, but I, overall, I think South Korea is finding itself in a difficult position, it, not just squished between Japan and China, but um, in, in a transition that it would be painful for any economy. Tim, you and Bill Mann just got back from Brazil. Uh, same thing. What, uh, what stood out to you about the Brazilian economy and what industry is, is looking interesting right now? 
Well, like a lot of uh, world economies, Brazil is is not in a great place right now. Obviously, falling oil prices hurt them. Um, <laughs> they recently, uh, Dilma Rousseff, who was the president there, recently got reelected despite a floundering economy. And what I think the most generous description of her economic policies that we heard was, quote, heterodox, <laughs> which just means, you know, unpredictable and not according. It's the opposite of orthodox. Okay. <laughs> so uh, she hasn't managed the economy well and yet still managed to get reelected. Um, that was generally seen negatively by the business community, although she threw them a bone with the appointment of a, the, the new finance minister there is generally seen as being more business friendly than they've been in the past. You know, but Brazil has, um, they're in a tough, tough place with interest rates because the economy is not doing well, but there is inflation. And so what does the central bank do? Uh, they don't really know. Um, the stock market, like a lot of them- They didn't bump up the key rate to 17%? 17%? No, they're not there yet. But they're, I think they're at 13. They are, they are no slouch <laughs> on interest rate expansion. Um, stock market is down. Everybody we talked to had pretty pessimistic views about 2015. Um, you know, the question for equity investors is always, you know, there can be a consensus about the economy, but the stock market is a moving is a moving target, and sometimes it prices it in, and sometimes it doesn't. In terms of Brazilian companies we spoke to, um, in health health and auto insurance was a was an interesting sector because they were able to make pretty convincing arguments that they are um, immune to what's happening in the Brazilian economy. And the reason for that is that it's just, there's such underpenetrated sectors, only you know, 11% of people have dental insurance and only 20% of people have car insurance. But you know, what's the number one risk in Brazil is having your car stolen and taken to a chop shop. So getting auto insurance is a pretty good deal for the average Brazilian uh, as they enter the middle class. So they made pretty good arguments for being immune to whatever happens in Brazil next year. And, and they've been sold off with the entire stock market Obviously, anything involved in, in iron ore, oil, which are also state-controlled sectors, the big banks, that just looks very, very poor. Um, you know, any state-run company can't lay anybody off. They have no options to control costs in that country. So, you know, I think it's a mixed bag. Um, I think one that we're excited to have gone to see and, and build a very substantive watch list for, but I don't think anything that is really jumping at us for, you know, hey, let's, now is the time to, to take near-term action, so... If you follow Tim Hansen on Twitter, you may have been alarmed last week by the following tweets. Was briefly stranded in a Sao Paulo grocery store, cut off from the world by a flood of water three feet deep and five feet across, increased America's standing in the world by being the first to leap over it, prompting applause and a mass escape from sure death. True fact. Please illuminate me. What What happened? So Sao Paulo, for people who may not know, Sao Paulo has been in a pretty significant drought. And um, all of a sudden, the week they were there, it started to rain. And one day, it just opened up, raining really. And, you know, when you've been in a drought, the ground hardens. These, and this grocery store just happened to be situated at the bottom of a hill. So all of this water from this downpour started accumulating into this. Was it raining when you went into this? No, no. This is what was shocking. I went into the store. There are no windows because it's like an urban grocery store where you sort of walk in. I was buying cookies for my son's preschool class because they, want, they wanted to have Brazilian snacks. Brazilian which snacks. Which I thought, I've been the good dad. And so I come out, I check out, and I, I look at the, and I'm wearing a suit, no umbrella. You know, I'm wearing dress shoes, that sort of thing. And I look at it, and I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> so it's just sheets of rain. It's just sheets of rain. And then, it's, and then they've, it, you know, their, their sewage, or not sewage, but the rain, um, the gutter, is just, they've built like a little 
um, depression along the side of the road that's supposed to channel all the water <laughs> down. But when they get this huge amount of rain, that little channel has become a river, and the and the the little waves from the river are lapping up into the grocery store. <sighs> so I'm there's a five minutes go by, ten minutes go by. Uh, 15, 20, 25. And we've got a dinner appointment that night with some folks. And so I'm, I'm saying, I'm like, yeah, I've real, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get out of here, but I can't walk through this, this, you know, call it a, a stream, yeah. a creek, um, in, in my suit and shoes. So, you know, I was like, all right, I could, I could roll up my pants and go barefoot. I could, and there weren't a lot of great, but then there was kind of that's a, a little slowing, risky. It's a little risky. Right. And then I've got these cookies I've got to protect. And then I've, and, and then and actually the thing I had just been, uh, we had been at these meetings and I was taking, I take all my notes handwritten because I find it a better way to absorb information. And then I input it into our research database. So I've got sheets of notebooks, you know, a notebook full of inked paper, which if it all gets destroyed, has pretty much undone the purpose of the trip. So I'm, you know, so I, I, I get a bunch of plastic baggies. I baggy up my uh, notebook, I baggy up the cookies. Rain slows down a little bit. The canal ceases being so torrential <laughs> I, I take a few steps back just run and i just leap and i make it and, I, and it nice. just, that created and that created an opportunity it inspired confidence in the entire grocery store to start leaping leaping over um you know what could have been i mean that's a lot of people with ruined shoes right absolutely in a country of of Havianas, um a strong current like that could cause anybody who's been to the ocean and lost an aqua sock knows that there's nothing more frustrating than losing a shoe in strong, fast-moving water. So I, I'm not going to call it heroism. <laughs> no. I think that might be a slight overstatement. That's that's a good move on your part. But um, <laughs> it, it's something. <laughs> uh, he has many abilities and many fine qualities, but I think all three of us can agree our colleague Bill Mann is not making that leap. No. Successfully. <laughs> he may attempt it. I don't think. I think he's falling just a little, just a little short. I think his effort would be heroic. His that heroic yes, effort. The effort would be heroic. Um, but I have to thank. Bill he was Mann at the hotel because <laughs> I was there by myself. Nice and dry. I have to thank Bill Man because he did bring back for me uh, some Pringles from Brazil, and they are Serrano ham flavored Pringles. And uh, as our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, can attest, delightful. Just tasty and delightful. Uh, before we wrap up, tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. So uh, if you celebrate Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. Um, uh, and as I mentioned yesterday, uh, great gift idea this year, Motley Fool Stock Advisor. And you've got you know eight days to pull this one off. So just text the word FOOL to 38470. That's 38470. Text the word FOOL, and you get a link for 75% off Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Give me a travel tip. It can be sightseeing. It can be a restaurant to go to. It can be a don't miss cuisine. Anything. If I'm in South Korea, if I'm in Brazil, one tip for our listeners. Nate, what do you got for me? Well, I think the National uh, Palace Museum in the in the center of Seoul is pretty interesting. It's it's the the traditional. It's been rebuilt, but it's the traditional emperor's palace, and it's surrounded by. Um, skyscrapers, so it's a very surreal situation um, to be standing in in the courtyard and see modern buildings surrounding you. Tim, there are a lot of great restaurants in Sao Paulo, but you can look them all up online. So I'm going to go with a travel tip, which is the thumbs up. You cannot give the thumbs up in Brazil. I mean, there, there's the, the thumbs up just, gesture. Just the thumbs up gesture. Is it an obscene gesture? No, in it is. Any any situation you need to diffuse anything, any restaurant you want to get into. 
The security guard is looking at you and he's skeptically. Just give him the thumb. You need to merge into traffic. A little thumbs up. Oh, so so been, it greases every wheel in Brazil. A thumbs up <laughs> and a smile, and you can do anything you want. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. But <laughs> but you know you know in soccer historically. Latin American players, you know, somebody plays a ball, it's a good ball, maybe the play doesn't develop, but, you know, you get, a, you get a thumbs up from the guy, something goes wrong, you get the finger wag, right? The no, no, no. Okay. Those are everyday gestures. It's like it's like a perpetual soccer game in terms of thumbs up, finger wag. Was there a point in the trip when you figured this out? About about two and a half days in, and, and I used it most effective. Actually, this is, this is so... The aforementioned Bill Mann, yes. we were leaving an office building, and there was a, a clearly marked, clearly delineated crosswalk across the parking lot. And so I walk across the crosswalk. Bill Mann <laughs> deviates at like a 45-degree angle to start wandering down towards the sidewalk. And the two security guards start going, oh, this is, ah, ah. And, and I turn, I'm like, Bill, you got to get in the crosswalk. So he gets in the crosswalk. The two security guards look at me, and I get... Two double. I'm talking four thumbs up from that the security is. guard, and that was when I was like, "All right, this is the move. This is the thing." <laughs> so we go. You know, we're we're, we're going to the next office building, and, and we're trying to negotiate to get by the security guard to get to the front desk. And I was like, "So I just point at the front desk, give the thumbs up." You might as well lay out a red card, Mr. Hanson. Right this Please. way. Wow, <laughs> that is your move in Brazil, a somewhat intimidating country made far less intimidating by the simple thumbs up. Thanks for being here, guys. Our pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.